Welcome back to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. Here we are for the fifth series. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience, engagement, performance, and loyalty. And that's a biggie at a time with budget cuts and the workforce feeling the pinch, including increasing pressure at work. We'll be unpicking how leaders show up and create the right culture for people to thrive. One that enables psychological safety, builds team cohesion, and nurtures mental well-being. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and a psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. I help deal with those challenges and questions that consume headspace. So whether that's knowing how best to support people, reduce overwhelm, or develop better ways of working, I'm your soundboard, problem unpicker, and guide to doing things differently that ultimately increase employee happiness and outcomes. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. So I am really pleased to be joined by Gail Cohen, who's Director General at the GCVA, the Gift Card and Voucher Association. Thanks for joining me today, Gail. Hello, Lisa. Great to be here. So we met when you kindly invited me to speak at your annual conference about psychology recently. Um, And I love your level of energy, your uh, animated, your outspoken. Um, You once described yourself to me uh, in one of our conversations as hubba bubba, a bit like hubba bubba. So I was referring to people being a bit like Marmite. Tell me why. I love that term. How did that come about the hubba bubba? Somebody bit? once did, it was um somebody once described me. I don't know, it's very flattering, but it amused me. Um, because um you can probably hear very loud seagulls in the background. Is that a problem? No, um no. I hubba bubba, God, did I actually tell you that? Hubba bubba is a very unpleasant, bright pink. I think it has other colours, bubblegum. People say that it's delicious and tasty and really exciting when you first have it, but then after a while it gets a bit tired. But I think it's probably because my level of energy is um uh, is quite high but I think they were joking I do hope so I think they're joking <laughs> but I think oh I think in the way we were talking about it, it's a bit like Marmite and it's that sense of being outspoken and having opinions on stuff and as someone I have a, a lot respectful of called Dave Greenaway talks about we just got to get off the fence you just got to make your opinions known because if you sit on the fence you get splinters so it's better getting on off the fence than sitting one side or the other and just having a view and not everyone's going to agree with with you or like what you have to say or what it is you do. But if you believe in something, um, whatever that's about, then you strike a chord and you make a difference in the world. I think it's really, really important to. And it's very interesting, actually, because I have various um I have various things I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I am Jewish. But I didn't talk about being Jewish for years. I was embarrassed about being Jewish, Um, you know, and now I'm so vocal. And I think it's the time to be very vocal about things like that. I've always hated um, intolerance and um, discrimination. And always from very, very early, I don't like people being unkind to other people. So I've I've spoken out about that. But I was I was afraid of putting myself out there in a in that sense, because I wasn't sure in a personal sense, in a business sense, oh, I've always gone where angels fear to tread and it's not always served me well. And I think in the sense of Marmite, I think it's absolutely true that, you know, people thrive with people like me or people don't thrive with people mm. like me. Because, you know, I am I think I described myself once as that um the general marching over the hill and then looking behind him and all his um 
all his army is still in the camp. And I think I get very excited about things. I'm very driven and I'm very entrepreneurial. I'm also very neurodiverse. And so sometimes you you have to remember all those things. And also that things you say that you think are completely and utterly um, innocuous can be seen in a different way. And, and it's why you have to be so careful on things like podcasts and talking to the press and media. Because And, and for somebody with a gob like mine, you know, I do have to be very mindful. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't always work doesn't always work no. best. Mm-hmm. well we can um if we send anything that's totally inappropriate so there you go we can edit it out <laughs> um so today we're going to be talking about leadership um over a yes. number of decades and the evolving style of leaders that um because for some people the that's gained clarity and they're, they're clear about what leadership is now but for some other people the boundaries feel a bit more blurred because of the rapid changes that have taken place um, and I'm really excited to see what you have or hear what you have to say today about it, because you've been in a lot of different industries and um, have had a whole range of experience. And I and I know that you are quite passionate about understanding how different generations work and actually just how that has impacted on how we need to lead, uh, lead them. So I would love to start by hearing about what is that keeps you busy at the moment and actually how you got into doing what you do with the GCVA bearing in mind that's not that wasn't part of your career plan (laughs) no um my career plan was to go and tread the boards and be an actor but um I was never very good at pushing myself forward don't think I was a very good actor um I joined the GCVA um by pure chance it was then the UK GCVA I was in between jobs I've um had an eclectic career and been very blessed that every job I've had has sort of taught me something new and and um, helped me on on the next journey. I got a phone call from a marketing agency who said there's some an organisation called the GCBA was looking for some a consultant for fifty days a a year as position of director general. I thought it sounds like a great great good day Ray good title I'll go along. Um, didn't have a clue what they were. Couldn't find hardly anything about them. And here I am eight years later, and I found myself entering the world of gift cards, which, you know, we often talk about this in the industry. It's not everybody's dream. When I grow up, I want to work in it. But it's the most fantastic, exciting, lovely, collaborative industry, which is extremely powerful and doing amazing things. So I joined 50 Days a Year. I um, realized that it was not going to work for 50 Days a Year. Um, we had and um, we were outsourcing a lot of the the um, work at the time to an agency, and that wasn't really working out. The executive were very involved, and I ended up with them um, building a fantastic organisation and growing our membership. And what keeps us busy now is, ooh, constantly trying to check back on an industry that. Um, the world's changing at a rate of knots, mm. whether I don't need to tell you that, whether it be COVID and will we have a business? Will people buy gift cards? And boy, did they. I mean, just free school meals was a, a huge thing in itself. But, you know, just keep keeping ahead of the industry, understanding what's happening with constant changing demographics, more and more um, closing borders, doing more work with Europe, ensuring we're working with consumers. It's just constantly busy and it's grown so quickly. We've gone from like two staff to six in, you know, a very short period of time. Mm. And it, and a lot of balls being juggled in the air. And and making, the, the aim is always to make it look so smooth, of course, to our members and our, our, our stakeholders. But there's an awful lot of that going on behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, which is a real art, isn't it? Actually, it just looks... Swan. Yeah, <laughs> very much a swan. So you've worked through I think you said when we're talking about having this conversation today four and a half decades I'm not going to show your age and that means you've have pretty much (laughs) I get my pension I get my pension this year that's how old I am goodness 
Um, I get taxed on it, so hey. (laughs) (laughs) But that means you've experienced um, huge change and have had to adapt. Absolutely. (laughs) So tell us what stands out for you as a leader in terms of the changes you've experienced over those those decades and um, very interesting <coughs> excuse me I think the term leader I'd like to start with that has been adopted far more recently I remember many many moons ago in one of my careers in, in jobs in business we ran a course about leadership we called it leadership and leadership it was all about directing and, and being a manager And suddenly it became about being a leader and then all the difference between managing and leading. And I think they are extraordinarily different. And I think managing is much easier. (laughs) You do a list and you you deliver it. Um, Leadership, I think, is extremely, um, it's very, very hard. So what's changed? My very first job (coughs) was for Brook Street Bureau, um, who were a a recruitment agency. And um, we learned to script. And it was, Dear Mr. Jones... Um, I am phoning today. Thank you. My name is Ms. Cohen, or whatever name it I had at the time. And that's the formality that started there. There weren't any computers. You know, it wasn't an abacus quite. We did have kind of Rolodex and things. But and I think then it was, you know, you didn't bow when the boss came in, but you certainly sort of were on full attention. And um, you absolutely did what they said and you were respectful. And even if you went down the pub with them, you still remembered they were the bosses. Mm. And, and, And it was. It was Mr. and Mrs. and all of that. You had to wear tights to work. You had to wear shoes to work, full suit, you know, all of that stuff. Um, you worked nine to five. You 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 didn't. You took your time for lunch. Um, and then as it moved, um, I think my next job actually was I worked for CNA. Remember them? And oh my, yes. My boss won't mention his name. Um, he was yes. He had obviously gone to the school of um being a boss, which meant that you just had to you know rule by fear and terrify everybody. And, um, you know, he was, he just used to strut around. He was a little man and we were all absolutely terrified of him, but we all did a good job and we all pulled our weight, but that's what we expected. That's how it was. And I ran a team too. And we did have a lot of fun and did lots of things, but you know, that we had to, but we had to work within this, this way. And I think because of my, I discovered quite early on that I did have a knack for being very creative and as well as being process driven and seemed to be able to, I think it's because of my, unusually wired brain I could kind of vision things as you know I've always think of the good doctor when he starts I don't know if you've seen that where he mm. starts taking out organs and putting them everywhere um I kind of do that with work I have my spreadsheets in front of my eyes and move them around and my visions and everything and I think because of the way I am I think I've always found it difficult I, if I find like-minded people or people that work closely with me who are bought into my vision it's very easy but running a big team and 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 wanting to be into everything and sharing these crazy ideas it's been challenging I have to say I haven't always been the most popular boss and you know and um but I make things happen and I you know, and have made change. So as a leader, I think as a leader of an organisation, I probably give myself quite a few marks, making change happen, growing, introducing new initiatives, bringing people on, making change. As a leader of people, I think I will always be learning and hoping to do better. But I love your um, your self-awareness with that in terms of, because so many people just think I'm a leader and that means I can just lead all this stuff and I just do it already well. <laughs> Or, or aren't honest enough to say, I'm not so good at this. 
And I've spoken to a number of leaders who actually, when they had the confidence to say, I'm really good at this, this is my strength, but I'm just not so good at the people side. And it often is the um, the people I've spoken to are around the, the people skills. They just don't like having those kind of the conversations that they need to have, or they just don't have, aren't great at empathy or whatever it might be. And actually when someone can say, I'm not so good at that, it means that first it takes that pressure off them. It communicates to everyone else that this is not going to be the person you have the most, the best experience with necessarily in terms of those people skills, that relationship. But it also means you can fill the gap with someone who is really good at that stuff, who can support you in your role. Hard in a very small team. And I think that's it. I think with, um, with big teams that I've run before, they've always had people that, you know, and groups and what have you. But when you're in a small team, you start mm. thinking, God. And I think self-awareness is great if you do something with self-awareness. Yeah. I think I I beat myself up a lot because I have, you know, I open my mouth and there I go. And that's a an, a plus and a minus. And sometimes the the thought process between speaking and not speaking is such a millisecond that I can't stop it. I've had lots of therapy. <laughs> But it's, you know, unless I, it's just how my brain is. And some of the things that come out are, are, are very direct. And that does not always work. Now, I think on the one side, I think I'm told I'm inspirational. I'm told that, you know, I've got a great brain and I'm told that I do things. On the other side, though, you have to make sure people's confidence and they feel that they've done it. And and it's getting that balance right. And and it's it's very, very hard. And especially now talking about leadership, Um. It, the world woke comes to mind, but it isn't. We're in a very changing demographic. Um, you don't, we've got a very exciting and interesting um, demographic of people coming up, the Gen Zs and the millennials, but the Gen Z especially, I find them very not afraid to say what they think is right, not afraid to pull you up if something is wrong, want to work according to how they believe they should work. It's just very different. And I think we are becoming very much an employee-led culture rather than a or, or a leader, a leader employee, wonderful malaise or melange or whatever the word is. Because I just think it's it's not all you do this and do it that way. There's, you know, people have got thoughts about it and how it should be done. It's also very challenging when, you know, you're an old fossil like me to keep up with the way appropriate ways of speaking to people and how you do it. I've always been very aware of um you know inclusion and things like that but I did say to one of my new very good recruits um the other day I said look I'm if I ever say anything inappropriate or wrong please tell me not in front of anyone but please let me know because I think it's just a very different um I love working with young people actually I think I enjoy it more I'm learning so much from them but um I find it very hard if I'm being completely honest working with people who are extremely headstrong um and who want to lock horns with me that's my biggest challenge not in an executive sense not in a board sense but in a team sense and staff if they want to fight me I'm not good at that and so as a leader then how do you how do you address some of those challenges because you because I love what you just said about yourself self-awareness is great but if you if you don't do anything about it so you know that the people side of leadership um doesn't come as naturally to you so actually you're setting that up by letting people know if I speak out of turn or I upset you or offend you then come speak to me so you're you're going some way to to manage that how how do you then work out what to do about that level of awareness that I know if I'm challenged or someone else is really 
headstrong about something and maybe that's because they are from a generation I mean it might not, not, not be anything to do with generation it might be their character as a very dominant character how do you navigate that as a leader I'd love to give some words of wisdom I'd like to turn around and say, you know, I, I have been on hundreds of courses. We all used to go on every leadership course, this course and that course. And the best thing I've learned, I'm not avoiding your question, but the thing I have learned that I am that's the most important thing in all my millions of years of learning is the urgent important list, the urgent not important, and the not important, not urgent. And that to me is that that's my words of wisdom for today. And always wear moisturizer on your neck. Those are my most important things. Don't just focus on the face. Um I'm not sure. How do you address it? I swore I'd never manage people again. <laughs> There's your cop out. I am. I'm a good consultant. I make things happen. I've worked in many places where I'm, if people approach me in the right way and say, you know, you need to bring the team with you or you need to do this or that. I've been told I've been the most inspirational boss people have ever had and, and they've never enjoyed working with me more. I've been told I've been Cruella de Bill. I've been, you know, people just learn from me or they don't learn from me. I think I'm always going to be that end of the spectrum I would love to change who I am I think everybody should be recognized that everyone everyone in every job whether whatever it is is important it's their job it's what earning what is earning them the money and so I honestly don't believe that because I am the boss or the leader I am the most important person on three now other people may disagree with that statement but I truly don't believe that but it took me quite a while to realize that the person who was administrating or doing this or doing that or, or working on the front end is just as important because it's their job and I think that's the important thing that recognizing these people come to work to be fulfilled to, to enjoy it and to have some fun and to be treated nicely and, and do you think that awareness of, of actually how important everyone is in their role came with experience so that's something that you realize you can't do your job if you don't have other people doing theirs it came because I was treated appallingly I was in between jobs and I went to um work someone and help with an event a large event and um I was paid pittance but that didn't matter I was doing it and they treated me appallingly it was like my opinion didn't matter anything I said that's not your job you don't need to do it and I suddenly realized that wow this isn't a comfortable place to, I'm coming to work I'm getting paid for this I'm doing the job and yet you're treating me as though I'm an imbecile who has absolutely no say. Now, I would like to say that has completely changed the way I've operated. <laughs> um, but I do because of the speed and the way I work. Um, I sometimes am not mindful of um everybody around me. I I I hope they'll tell me. And I I I there's very good, I do have good traits. I'm very, I, I'm very good at rewarding. I'm very good at allowing people to be flexible. I'm very good at making sure people have their lives. So, you know, I like to recognize people and make sure they feel that. But you, culture isn't just about giving them, I've realized. Um, maybe I'll never be a really good leader, eh? Maybe I'll be brilliant at running a company. Maybe I'll be really good at leading business and making things happen. But maybe as a leader of people, maybe it will never be my forte. I was curious when you mentioned CNA and um, oh, yeah. manager who you had who was who managed using fear, and I wonder if actually your your headstrong kind of approach to you know just who you are and how you operate would that work in the favor of your team in terms of did you manage to have fulfill your role and actually protect people from that. Uh, style of, of management because often there's people can have a sort of 
go one of two ways and there'll be other ways as well but often you know if you're if you're ruled by fear you end up ruling by fear yourself for your team because that's the culture you're within and some people say wow I, I need to protect my team from that I can see that that's not a healthy way of of leading but for someone to make that stand they've got to have quite a lot of courage um so I wonder I kind of wonder actually in terms of how you lead your teams whether they might benefit in terms of you have the confidence to stand up to those ahead above you that so don't I don't agree that doesn't fit best for for me and my my people it's, it's interesting I think Paul there's been so many different places I've worked and so many different experiences I've had I I don't think I would ever get popularity queen carnival of the year vote I would get gosh you taught me a lot I get emails and texts from people now saying I just want you to know I've got this job and thank you so much for everything you did for me so it's you can't please everybody all the time. Um, uh, he ruled with fear. I think I'm somebody that people will, I'm very strong-minded, I'm very verbal. So um, I don't stand, you know, I don't stand for inequality and bit bad behavior. So I've probably was the kicking yardstick or whatever the, I'm mm -hmm. not really good at expressions. So I think probably did the team get it? I think sometimes these big, fierce, frightening bosses Maybe I'm one. Who knows? Like to be um be seen as the shining light of goodness and a beacon to the the rest of the people. So I think maybe he did go around being just charming and lovely to people. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, the the managers got it more. But I just think the whole leadership thing. I think I I I went on a course years and years ago, and they're talking about entrepreneurs. I think it's talking about Tim Waterston, who started Waterstones, and when I think he might have been even talking, and he's saying that entrepreneurs, and I think it's a very different. You need to take them. They're, they're completely different, different traits, different experiences. Being an entrepreneur does not make you a good leader. In fact, probably the opposite. Because being an entrepreneur, you have that vision. You know where you want to go. You're right over anybody to get there. I mean, I'm not saying these are completely correct, but you will just do everything possible. You won't want to let go quite often. And you'll keep doing it. And I think I'm an entrepreneur Inside out, I think that's what I am. Um, I've had to learn how to manage teams and be this, but just because I was a good entrepreneur and a good business person doesn't always make you a good manager. So I've had, I would like to, have, I'd still like to be better. I'd still like to be more patient. I'd still like to be more tolerant. I'd still like to take more time to listen to people. I'd still like to remember that work isn't everything. And sometimes it's more important that, you know, you take time out to listen to what people have. I'm very good at wanting to play the fool and not always as tolerant when other people want to play the fool. So maybe I am old school leader. Maybe I have developed those traits from my fearful bosses that have come, but I've got those two sides, the Marmite side where I want to have fun as well. And I think that can be very confusing. And I think that's also like being a parent. If you're the, my dad was fierce, but then he wanted to have fun, you know, and, and I think um, consistency and uh, is very, very important, I think. And maybe I lack that, actually, if I'm being totally honest, it's the most honest interview I've ever done. <laughs> I'll probably never get another job again. Um, but um, as I say, I'm coming to the end of my career. But um, I do think that consistency is so important. People need to know where they are. They need to know they're respected. They need to know that they're considered important. They need to be valued. But I don't think however much you give people as a reward and benefits, if they're not happy with the culture, if they're not respected, if they're not being given the headspace to operate, then I don't think they're ever going to stay there. 
And I think those are, you know, it's how you balance the leadership entrepreneur role. And I think that's very tough. And I take my, I've had some brilliant um, people. I've watched some brilliant people and I hats off to people who can make it work really well. I think I'm being really open and honest because I, it's something I've struggled with all my life. I've always, because you're really good at growing something, coming up with ideas, creating products, making money, they put you in charge of a load of people. Now I worked for a company called Natural England at one point when they were, they um, been formed and they did this um I can't remember the expression they used but they basically the brain and the brawn I think so the ones the scientists were the ones with they made who did the projects and did the work with the knowledge and the managers who were good at managing people they made managers so they just formed project groups all over the place I think that's brilliant not everybody who's a brilliant sales person is going to be a good manager and I think that I have done my best I think everybody does but I think I, I I feel that through the years, it's gone from do as you're told and don't answer back to, um, well, you know, that that old model, isn't it? Tell, sell, consult, delegate. I think it's gone from tell to sell, to consult, to delegate to actually, this is how we want to work. This is the environment we want to work in. And, you know, it's changed. It's hard to keep up. With and you don't keep, they say, didn't they, that when I was a girl, that there were, you, you had four or five jobs in a, a lifetime, two or three. Now they say you'll have 15 to 20 or something like that. So, you know, it's very hard. If you're judged on retention of your staff in this environment, you know, people move, people grow, people want to. And, and with our small little tiny company working in the gift card industry, people don't say when I grow up, I want to work in the gift card industry. Generally, generally, there might be a few exceptions. And so because we run events and because there's research and because we have exciting members and brands, I think people find it very exciting because they can do lots of different things. But we are suddenly growing into a bigger space. And I have got to be very mindful of how um, they are managed and how they work. And, and my new methodology for this is very much that they are self-managing teams that work on projects and also that they get aligned with one of the executive each as just an opportunity to have someone to talk to or to share knowledge with. So I'm trying to look at a different model of working because when you have very small companies and you're small not-for-profits, you know, with a non-exec board and there's no, you just have to make sure that everyone is um, has the opportunity to feel that they're secure and supported. And because I know that it's not my strong point always. I do need to put things in place. And I'm, now we're growing. I recognise that. And do you think your um, that's obviously been triggered or it sounds like it's been triggered through the fact you're growing. So you're having to think about how to adapt uh, how you lead. Taking it back to <coughs> the different generations. Excuse me. Um, do you think, you know, what are the implications then for you having worked as long as you've worked for in terms of the experience you've got in terms of how you, what you expect and then various other age groups coming into the association and perhaps expecting quite different things so you've already kind of touched on the fact that you know we no longer tell people and people are very much uh, more outspoken about what it is that they want how they want to work does how do you get how do you get your head around that or how do you encourage other leaders other managers to accept that actually things are changing interesting I think COVID changed my brain as it did with many people the fact that we suddenly didn't say where are you at nine o'clock or five thirty, even if it didn't matter you know that whole principle when we were at CNA we used to clock in and literally I lived down the road 
And I was two minutes late, you used to get picked up on it. That I hated that clocking in thing. I mean, I'd forgotten about that. Um, I have become, one thing that it's done me a huge favour is this virtual working thing, is that, um, you know, people come in the office once or twice a week, as agreed, they work from home. If people, we do a call every day at 9.30, 10 on Mondays, who likes Mondays, nobody. Mm -hmm. so if people want to start at 9, 9.30 or finish at 5, 5.30, in the summer, if they want to start at 8 and go to the beach, we live down, our head office is by the sea. Fine. So I've become much more flexible on that level. I don't know what they're doing at home. They may be doing the washing and feeding the cat, but as long as the, the work's done, that is brilliant for me. So I think that's in line with the way that the world is going. And I think flexibility is key. I think so. I do believe that my um, my ability for strategy and planning and vision, I am good at communicating. And we, we as a team work as a whole to do that. And they have some really good ideas. And, you know, they get incorporated. We do a lot of, you know, building to come up with our products and our services. It's not me just saying we're doing this now. We You know, that is input far more from the executive and the team. But I do think the whole changing virtual working has completely helped me in stopping being so anally retentive about people coming and going and and flexibility people work late I've noticed that this generation interesting work an hour later and say a longer and say I've got an hour in lieu to take or something you know I, which is funny that was something but there again we didn't have full-on 24-7 text and mobiles and whatsapp and I'm getting much better at not sending messages in the middle of the night either or the weekend I sort of program them to send in the morning because that's just abuse <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, but I think they have to respond yes oh absolutely and I think but again, that comes back to the importance of self-awareness, isn't it? That actually I need to change my behaviours because I realise it's impacting on other people. And I'm, you know, you can, it's interesting hearing you speak, Gail, because you can um, hear that how much you've changed in terms of being very open to flexible working where people can work how they want in a sense, as long as they're getting the work done. But you must, I guess, come up against resistance from other people who have different ideas about, what the workforce should be doing and how they should be operating or is your industry one that actually is is all very open to a kind of more modern approach we provide services to the industry and I should imagine every organization we have large huge brands like John Lewis and Marks and Spencers and Tesco who are huge big tankers who have systems coming out of every pore but I should think that they've had to change the way they work as well and I'm sure there's much more virtual working I'm noticing more and more people are going back to the office actually and I'm noticing that it's younger people who want a social life I think that you know they want that um so for us we can really create it how we want to create it and I I'm mindful of the fact that I'm not going to be here forever. And at some point, my legacy will hand, will be ha handed over. And I want to make sure that, as I said, I'm never going to get Boss of the Year award. But I think I could get probably get Team Structure of the Year with everybody knowing what their role is and where they fit in and how they work together. And I think as long as we can serve the industry in the right way, and, and it's much more important for us that we provide the right products and services and initiatives. And we do that through our executive who represent the membership and also through surveys and such like. But as far as the team goes, um, as we're growing and we're going from being one and two was easy and three, being three, four was a bit difficult because you start needing systems and you get a bit top heavy. But I think now moving to six, I think we need to not be top heavy. 
we need to make sure we're very flexible. People can move around. Everybody knows what they're doing. Everyone knows what the whole organization is doing and people need to be heard. And I have to zip it. I'm not a good listener. And um, I do love ideas, but I usually have to say them a few times. I'm, I am, in fact, I've been having a little bit of self-annihilation recently because I I thought I'd reached a really good point of acceptance and knowing what I was doing and then you know a little hiccup happens and you start evaluating everything through the years and you never stop and actually that's a trait I don't want to lose because it might not make me a better leader but I'm sure just recognizing your flaws and looking at what you can do better does help for a day or two anyway. <laughs> yeah and I think that's it's almost it's a subtle difference isn't it between the sort of self-awareness and self-evaluation yeah I really like that yeah and I think that um I think the younger generation who are coming up they want to learn skills and move on they want to earn money I'm not I'm not talking for everybody but you know I'm I'm so impressed by their skills I'm so impressed by the speed they do things you know and there are some really really good people out there who are doing amazing things they want a lot of money (laughs) I'm amazed what salaries people want now you know and what they want but the good ones earn it and they deserve it and it's changed for me earning four and a half thousand pounds or was it two and a half thousand my first annual salary I can't remember was it in Florins I don't know I I just think the whole leadership thing is I can you grow a good leader can you build a good leader no they say you can a manager but you can't leader they say leaders are born don't they they say leaders are born but I think we have to operate within a very we're operating in a very um we're under a microscope from everything you do from you know Twitter to Facebook to this to that the other you know everything is communicated you're told how you should behave you're told what you should do you're told how you should speak everything is shared there's nothing nothing hidden but also from a positive we have been told that we have to you know, be kinder to people <laughs> of all races, of all sexual orientation, of all, you know, ethnicities, of all religions. And I think that's a really positive. I think we have to respect people more. How you then adopt that into the workplace when someone is being really annoying and not doing their work properly, you have to go through all these processes of evaluation. It's it's hard. Mm. I mean, I, I think you have to protect your staff. You have to protect human rights. You have to make sure they're treated properly because there's lots of, you know, people who don't treat their employees properly. But if there's a balance and, um, you know, it's how you get that right. And it, yes. it's, it's a very different world. Yeah, and I and I, was I think... treated terribly. I've been treated terribly at some jobs, and I've absorbed it, you know. And it's not good. So how do we? And and I think we've gone right the other way now. And I don't know how we get that balance back. You know, that's a really interesting point because I I know um I did some work with a team a couple of years ago where they were an all male team, and they just had banter in their workplace and that's I hate that word yeah and they were like this is just how we are we just have this banter and we just um you know we behave in this particular way because we're all guys but they were very they were acutely aware that they had a um, a female joining them on their team and they suddenly realized that how they were behaving was no longer okay it was going to be offensive but they weren't sure what was okay and what wasn't okay and how to how to kind of change their natural way of being. And we had such an interesting conversation with the female in the room when as soon as she started, it's like actually let's unpick what is and isn't okay and how do we know? And there was this fear almost of, you know, you say it's gone to the other extreme. 
there's this fear of what what is is okay to say and what's not okay to say now and what if I say the wrong thing or what if I ask something and it's it's not appropriate and they were almost so afraid to speak because they worried about offending someone it's like well, I better not say anything and there's a real but can, we know that communication is so so important that if something needs to be said it needs to be said but it's about how think, we say things I totally agree I think when people feel censored some people, I was in a lift going, I was in Heathrow Airport or the Gatwick Airport the other week, and I was up in a lift and someone said something to me, but it was a bit offensive. And I just said, oh, I'm not sure about that. He went, oh, I'm sick of all this woke rubbish, blah, 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 blah. And everyone, we all just burst out laughing and he got out. And I was literally just, you know, um, sort of, he did say something that was slightly offensive to me. And then I think about this and I think that you've got a whole generation of people trying to be woke, so you've got your 40, 50 year olds who are all trying to be and getting it horribly wrong, probably half the time. And what is woke? I mean, you tell us, you know, I know my daughter and um, and younger people tell me that I, oh, you can't say that and you can't say this. And I was told the other day, I was talking about Noddy, you know, Noddy and Biggie. Yes. And I said things, she said, you haven't got Noddy on your shelf, have you? And I went, oh God, why? To any Jake King. And I thought, oh God, <laughs> you know, and I was like, that wasn't funny, you know, because it, it is that point. So I suppose that level of censorship does make you very anxious about what you say and what and, and what you do. And so, but the point you make, I was in all male teams um, and I have seen women in those situations play the game. And I think by play the game, they want to be one of the lads. They'll, they'll laugh at all their terrible jokes, which are inappropriate, named at women. They'll drink as much as they do. And I I always said, oh, I don't think that's quite right. Or, or I played the game, but in my way. Mm. And I, I don't like that. I don't like that when I think you have to fit in or, you know. <laughs> and and I think from that purpose, it's changed. But, um, but I'm not sure it's genuine. I'm not sure it's genuine. I mean, I, haven't we all been on courses that teach us how to recognise discrimination and recognise this and recognise that and recognise that? And you can see people ticking boxes, doing but that's not changing behaviour because it's just telling you to fill in a workbook. So I think the only way that we will evolve into, well, the way we would evolve is to say to people, what environment do you want to work in? What culture do you think works? I mean, and I'd love to do that. I'd love to sit and say that, you know, what culture do you want? Do you want pictures on the wall? Do you want biscuits? Would you like to go early? What? And there's no reason why I could do that. That's easy for me because that's just joint, you know, what I struggle with is um, I think I, I'm I'm very fast and very quick. And I think what I struggle with is, is the work bit, not the buying in everybody into what you want to do and how you want to work. I think that's the easy bit. But then it's making sure that within that, you ensure that you are if I've got 20 year olds 30 year olds 40 year olds and 50 year olds how do we just make sure there's a common denominator and we don't have to treat everybody different how do we establish that and I think you know your suggestion you are making complete sense and I and I like what you said about um going and asking Mm. what it is that they want because I think you know the what you're saying about uh tick boxes I was having a conversation yesterday with with someone about the difference between cognition and emotion, and we can we can <laughs> go through all these activities at a cognitive level. Everyone just kind of nods and ticks a box effectively and agrees to behave in this new way. Um, the reality is, our day say behaviour is driven by our emotional drivers, and we are we are emotional people, so we will automatically 
behave because our brain pattern matches it's you know it's, it's shaped based on our experience and, and our beliefs we will behave in a particular way that feels natural to us so the tick boxing exercise is almost like it's just a bit superficial and it doesn't actually it is it's ticking a box yeah literally ticking yeah. oh we've done that course good you're trained now you know how to go and talk to everyone yes a hundred percent but when you ask people what they want when you say okay so how do you want it to feel when you come to work how do you what do you want your experience to be like what do you want the relationships to be like what what feels okay what doesn't feel okay what helps you thrive what gets in the way and you ask people they then engage at an emotional level and you can ask ask the ask different generations find out from them what they want and instead of having you know 20 different ways of doing something you can narrow it down to five different ways or there might be common themes actually between all of them you can say yeah we'll we'll, we'll try this we'll try that and you trial things i agree I'm, i mean i put and and but it isn't always what you think, is it? I because no. uh, I decided we we you know we'd I'd take everyone on a day trip. We'd go to Paris. I said we'll go to Paris. We'll say we'll have a day trip and we'll go to Paris. I thought everyone would love it. I just thought this is fabulous. We'll all go and have that. What we got to go on stay in town on Sunday night? What we got to come back that late? What? And I went, let's not do it. But it was my assumption this was a cool thing to do. So I've made someone fun now. I've said you come up with what people want to do as long as crazy golf's in there at least once. I'm fine. But you know, and and we've done that before. But it's much more than that, and I know it is. And it, it's 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 the Gantt chart. I've got all Gantt charts. It crosses here and it crosses there and it crosses here. I think it's you can't. You know, entrepreneurs meet leaders, you develop something, you grow it, you're passionate about it, you bring people in, you don't let them do their job, you interfere in their job, it's still your company, you are still the person that shines, you bring in a few more people, it gets to the point where someone says you need a managing director, you lose your passion, you move out your job. I don't, I, you know, I'm not saying that's it, but I think that's the challenge. You're passionate about something and you grow it and you want to keep hold of it. It's not that you don't want other people to shine and do their job, but you want to make sure it's perfect. And that's a real dichotomy between being a great leader, being a pain in the butt, <laughs> being an entrepreneur, you know, and being inclusive. It's a real challenge. And as I articulate it, I'm absolutely realising where my blockages come. So what about your creativity, Gail? Because you are um, a very creative person and you um, talk about your neurodiverse brain and, you know, is, has that helped you challenge because that's because that's a strength. Has that helped you challenge the status quo in terms of what's expected of a leader? Has that made any difference <laughs> in terms of just the, that that strength you bring to your position? I'm not sure it's necessarily totally linked to leadership. So I think I because of the fact that I can see things in a different way mm. um, because and I didn't realize this. And in fact, I only realized there was something I just thought I was. I just thought I just didn't fit for years and years and years and years. And I put it down to loads and loads of things. And it was only about 10 years ago when I was chatting to someone who was ADHD. I was thinking, hang on a minute. And then it took me another eight years to get diagnosed. <laughs> so all that time I was living with this thing, just thinking I saw things differently and was, you know, and I couldn't understand it. But my superpower, and my son said that because he's he's also, <laughs> he's my stepson, but we we connect on that level. And it is a superpower in so many ways because you can just, and it's so annoying in, in meetings though, Lisa, because you spend an hour discussing something that you said an hour before, you know, and 
that's I've got a great exec at the moment actually they like making decisions and that's brilliant for me but that I, I find it so hard you know we come up with something I know it's going to work I can tell you it's going to work I can almost see this cash flow and that will work then we discuss it for another round and say let's do that and then it's never my idea I used to struggle with that a lot in big businesses when I was in places especially at uh, not going to name names I've done that before no no don't do that in trouble. <laughs> but especially in one large organization that you know cultural organization and my ideas were always came up but they were never <laughs> very rarely recognized I think the joy it's given me is because I have always and I've been very lucky I've gone into places and people have sort of the boss is usually the boss that I've worked with or the person who's brought me in um has obviously brought me in because they saw something mm. and um and has let me have quite a lot of free reign in quite a lot of jobs to make change and mm. do things and that's amazing and and but as I say that also brings resentment <laughs> because somebody new is coming in and changing the way we do things that we've done but from a creative point of view I like nothing more than I believe nowadays if you can't get it on five slides then one slide, then it doesn't exist. But it is very much the, yeah, I can give me a problem. Give me, you know, give me something and I'll come up with, okay, do this, 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 and this, and this. And it's just how my brain works. And and I've, I've been a creative in lots of ways. I mean, I could have gone other routes. Maybe I should have gone down the, um, if I'd been older, no, younger, if I'd been, you know, born later, I probably would have been a producer or a director or something like that, you know, because I realised that that's kind of how my brain operates. But mm. being given an organisation and being able to grow it and um, have fantastic members who really appreciate everything you do and are so engaged and it just continues to grow and you can come up with more and more initiatives is, is a privilege. And actually, it reminds me of something you said about... Um you love work of the GCBA because it's so different to traditional corporate organizations so what is it about what is it about your organization that makes it stand out or stand apart from others and is that something that you've consciously created or is that just because of the nature of the industry that you're in the GC, well, the UK GCBA started in 1991, and it basically was when there were still vouchers. It was the Voucher Association originally, because they were. We all used to get those lovely paper vouchers. And um, and they started, I think they just met, excuse me, in, you know, once a month and for chats, because they had nobody to talk to about this product. And hats off to them. And then I came in about 2015. I think it was. And at that point, they'd sort of they had about 42 members. The industry was still not particularly digital. We had moved into what they called plastic. We now call them physical because, of course, 99 percent of them are sustainable. Let's remember that. And I came at a point when um, I didn't know what the industry was, but I don't care what the industry is. It's the same building blocks. And I was given the executive basically. When I went for my second interview, I just did a business plan for them. I did a, you know, this is where we are. This is where you come from. This is BAU. This is where we need to go. And they went, well, how did you do that? I said, well, that's how my brain works. And they let me do it and work with them. And it was tough. I Quite a lot of toys were thrown out of prams on quite a lot of um, days. I don't know how they put up with me. Um, but I basically started to grow with the most fantastic chair and a great executive. And since then, I've had brilliant executive teams I've worked with and we just started to grow the organization then I came up with you know let's introduce this or let or we did as a team or let's bring this in and let's bring that in and that is how it's evolved I think the gift card industry is very unusual because it is a sort of fintechy type um industry 
but it is um, very collaborative because the people you compete with are also your partners and your business people. Everybody's interested in growing. Everybody's in, interested in, in um, positioning it in a way. And um, they're all extremely keen to get involved and they just love what we do. And we have, yes, I've been able to take it up a notch and make it shine and make people proud. We have a lovely awards in um, September, which now's you know, it's his third year of being a beautiful sit down dinner when we celebrate the industry. And I think everybody wants to be involved in an industry that they're proud of and they they get value out of. And so, yeah, the fact that I've had the chance to do that. It's the longest I've ever been in a job. Wow, that says a lot, doesn't it? Eight years is a long time for anybody. <laughs> but, but because it's rapidly changing and, um, you know, it's growing, I guess that keeps keeps things interesting enough. It keeps presenting enough challenges for you to keep, for your brain <coughs> to stay um, focused and inspired. Well, funnily enough, I flatlined a little while ago. <laughs> a very challenging year and after covid and I was um, like, oh, so another conference, two day, you came to the conference. It's a big beast. So mm-hmm. a lot of people over two days, you know, and oh, another one of these. And we've had our executive away day last week and we've come up with a fantastic strategy. And I've got my boom, boom back again because, I've, you know, there's suddenly loads of opportunities. I need that. I'm not a day-to-day worker. You may have seen that. I love a vision and I love to constantly, I wouldn't, you know, I like to be building and making things better and making things new. And I've got a fantastic opportunity. And I, I kind of see a role now for somebody in my team. I recognize that I need someone to work with me on strategy and campaigns because, you know, this is, I spread myself very thin. And that, and I also, um, being a, a a very bad trait of being a leader is not remembering what you say to people. That's a very, I forget what I say. So I having somebody working with me who can, you know, help with the projects and guide those through, I think it's essential. So we've grown to that point now of needing a sort of um, campaign lead, so policy lead. So but that's great also because you, because what you bring is very special, very powerful. And, and lots of people don't have that level of, creativity just being able to see a picture having that energy having sort of dynamic thinking and you've got that and it, and you just need it's about having the right people around you isn't it to then remember what has been said and go and make sure it happens <laughs> and no you didn't say that you said that because that must be hugely frustrating for people because I I like clarity you know I like to know which is really weird for someone who's probably you know doesn't always give the, the right signals I think the interesting thing is and the hardest part for me as a leader or as a human is is to is to let go is to is to completely let go now i can some things you know it's really interesting i don't know anything about tech for events or production so i'm happy to just say just yeah tell me when there's the budget let me know mm. ask me what color it is or whatever you want but then bits i feel that i am you know i find it very hard to let go then and I need to still find a way of how I do that. And I believe having someone that works with me that looks after that bit will, you know, which I used to have when I was uh, in other jobs, but we, we're tiny, you know, we don't have enough, we can't have lots of people. So what what does the future look like then in terms of the letting go? Because, you know, you've said a couple of times today and you've said in previous conversations that, you know, you're you're not looking to work forever. So you've got to think about succession planning and I'm curious to know about how you're going to approach that bearing in mind your it's your baby and you're so passionate about it and you like to have that level of control and stepping back you know it's going to be is hard Very. so um, how, how 
how do you go about kind of that that transition because again that's something that I've spoken to a number of people about recently who are well you think about politicians around the world they're in their job and they just don't, they don't go <laughs> they just don't go they stay and they stay and they stay and then yes well yes there's the a... confidence to say you know <clears throat> actually the time is right for whatever whatever reason but the time is right how do you make that transition and how do you kind of get mm. yourself ready for that and your leadership your board ready for that very interesting and been debated a lot so the question of succession, I kind of was in denial about how old I was for ages. I thought I was still 50 and um, I still think I am. I think I look all right for my age. And, um, and, and suddenly, very age. I, thank you very much. I suddenly realised that, you know, I don't want to go out and party every night. Not that I've wanted to for a long time or I don't want to. I'm not even. Yeah, I can be. And I suddenly thought, I am getting a bit on, you know, I've got got metal hip but that was because I had an accident you know I am but I'm, I'm a very energetic human being I do have my family is ridiculous we have that high level of passion for life and energy but I think you know they started talking about succession and I immediately thought they want to get rid of me they want to say but they weren't they were obviously protecting themselves now that this is really hard for me I've grown an organization over eight years consider it's mine but it's not it's a trade association and not-for-profit I was looking to go down to 100 days a year, which I'm still looking to do, but um, we need to get the right structure. And we've tried a couple of structures and they haven't worked. And I think this, I think, I think that we have the structure that we're going to implement where we have people, you know, working, as I say, self-managing, working groups, very clear um, objectives, knowing what they're doing, find out what environment they want to work in, understand what makes them tick a little bit more. I think then when that works, I will be able to stand back to 100 days a year, because if they're all doing that bit of it, I can then go and do my director generaling, which I've never really done. Well, I've done, but I need to be out there building relationships and doing, you know, that element of it. And um, I, if I had lots of money, Right now, would I stop working on some days? Yes, but on most days, no. I I thrive work. And in fact, that's been a huge problem for me. I think work has defined me. I think the rest of my life has suffered because of work. Um, maybe, you know, my parenting, my relationships, my marriages, because I work. And once I work, because I can't, you know, it, it, it absorbs me. And so I won't be going just doing a quick stop. Um, but I think, you know, 100 days a year and um, ending up doing that and continuing. And also I'm interested in, you know, some I, I love um, I was meant to be going to run a charity when I got this job. I was looking at some um, director, well, CEO jobs for charities, and I just couldn't find a charity that I liked. And then this suddenly turned up. And um, it's been absolutely amazing, but I think I still would love the opportunity to have an, an, an NED role with a charity, an amnesty or a, an outside, you know, I don't know, the right thing will turn up. You um, never know who might be listening to this, Gail. Okay, well, if you're listening to this and you're looking for someone to come in in an NED role, I'd be very interested in doing something. Please don't make me do sponsorship now. I'd like to add my strategic skills to the. <laughs> Everybody always wants me to make money. And I think I used to chair a, a theatre, the Young Actors Theatre in Islington for years. And if you're in America, you go on a board and you bring money. That's very much the model. Um, and it isn't here. And it's very hard when you're you're on a board and you're running something like that to get everybody as excited about 
bringing in the dosh. It's a different culture. But no, those sort of things I, I want to do. But and I'm also I'm also very open to running workshops and do, you know, helping people get their strategy done in a few hours on a piece, one piece of paper, because that's what I specialize in. So I think that my my real strengths though still are you know visioning creativity and and driving things forward i think my areas for improvement are still ensuring the team comes with me and they're happy and fulfilled and they're doing it in a way they want to i'm curious to know what you would advise people who are listening to this mm. to take away from the conversation so what are the kind what are the things that you think actually leaders really should go and think about developing x y or z or focusing on these particular aspects that are going to help ensure that they are fulfilling their role well and meeting the different needs of different generations within the workforce? I think 100% start with yourself because, and this is where I should have listened to my own advice years ago, because if you want to be a really, really successful leader, then you need to understand what your strengths are and your areas for improvement. I don't like the word weaknesses because we beat ourselves up. And so, and I think once you understand that and you find yourself a good coach, a good therapist, a good, you know, a mentor, then you can really help yourself. And, and I think I was thrown in as a manager at, you know, 21 at Brook Street Bureau. And I thought it was just shouting loudly and telling people what to do. And I'm sure a little bit of that has carried forward into this period. So I think if I had had the opportunity to say, you know, your, your graduate programme or leadership programme, but anyone who wants to be a leader... Understand yourself. If you know that you're an intolerant human being, if you know you're oversensitive, if you know you're not very good at empathy, if you know that you're brilliant at um, running projects but not good at explaining, then work out how you can make sure that your skills ensure that you have the best, happiest team. And you can only, it's like therapy. If you're trained to be a therapist, you have to go and have therapy. If you're trained to be a leader or going to be a leader, you need to learn to be a leader. And I don't think I ever got that. I went on a few Institute of Directors courses and everybody's really good at just standing up and playing the game and ticking the box again. But I really think you have to understand yourself and realize it's not all about you. And that, again, is I used to talk about consultants. I used to talk to consultants who are going to be consultants. And I said, you have to be part of the solution, not the problem. Because a lot of consultants come in and they start, you know. Telling, and I think that's the important thing about being a leader. You've, you, These people, everyday life between nine and whatever, is it you and, and your organisation that you're leading and how you treat them. And they want to be valued. They want to be important. They, they need to know that. So you need to manage yourself. And... I could have done a lot better in my career. I'm sure I've inspired a lot of people and I've got some fantastic success stories out of that. But I'm sure that I've also made people feel that they weren't the best they could possibly be. And for that, I'm deeply sad. And um, I know that's a part of me that I don't know how I can. I try ever so hard, but I think that's a problem I, I will have to the rest of my life, really, how I am not. How I... <laughs> How I stop being me, basically. <laughs> How do I manage, you know, to not be quick to the, and coming up with the answer and doing that? But I think the best way of doing that is removing myself. Having really good people that manage people is part of it as well. And, and you don't want to lose... I'm not going to get a leadership job through this podcast, am I really? Let's just face it. <laughs> I, but you know what? Well, I, I, I would disagree because I think you're so clear on what your strengths are and, um, you know, what <laughs> is you're good at and what is you're not so good at. And I think that... When people can be honest about that, 
then roles can be shaped to fit that person's strengths. And I think the danger is when people aren't aware of what they're not so hot on and or just trying to blag the fact that they are amazing at everything and then the reality shows they're not. So I think that level of awareness, starting with you, knowing knowing what makes you tick, knowing what excites you, what energizes you, knowing yes. what you want to spend your time doing because it works, you're brilliant at it. I, I think that's the other thing I'd always say, surround yourself with people who get you and understand how you work and can work with you. Because, you know, yes, we all need the different models and the different thinkings and we need our completer finishes and we need all this and we need all that. But you also need people who are comfortable working with the person they've got to work with. And I think, you know, because I am quite enthusiastic and excitable and can paint a good story, everyone, you know, thinks, oh, she's amazing. Well, yes, but I also have this fear side and it doesn't work for everyone. Mm. And, um, and I need to modify that. You know, even if I do that when I'm getting excited can terrify some people. They could suddenly jump, you know, and, and I think it's around yourself with people who know how you operate and work and look at the type of people, you know, work for you. Mm. And, and and that's that's important. But that's probably in your in your um your very close working relationships. But um, knowing who you are and, and dealing with it and learning how to be better. But again, if you get diagnosed, if you're neurodiverse earlier and get treatment for it, when you discover when you're in your um latter years it's very hard to change who you are well exactly and I you think you beat yourself up a lot I'm oh I spend a lot of time self-flagellating even now you know I'm not I'm I'm not someone that can um I'm I'm very aware of um who I am and what I am and I carry it with me and it's it's exhausting sometimes actually mm -hmm. it doesn't come often but when it does it can really take it, it, it's exhausting mm -hmm. mm. I hear that um We've run out of time, but I wanted to just finish with a final question that Chris Williams, who was a guest recently talking about B Corp. Oh, um, yes. Has provided a question, which is, what's the book that you recommended to most people and why do you like it or love it so much to have done so? The you, the book I used to recommend to people um, was the, I'm trying to think what it's called. Is it the Chimp Paradox or yes. the... Yes. yes, that was the one that I used to, and I might have a new favourite, but I haven't finished it yet. So that was the one that I just felt, I'm not good at reading those sort of books from front to back, and I'm not telling people to wear their thinking hats or any of those books, but I thought that was brilliant because it's how you deal with your demons. It might have helped me if I'd read it from start to finish, but it's, it is that whole thing about you've got a sabotage bit of you that's always going to be popping up, and it's how you get your brain to work and understand how it works. And I believe it was written by the man who was the coach for the British cycling team when they won the Olympics. You've got it on your shelf, haven't you? I have got it on my I've shelf. I've got many copies here, actually. But that was it. But I was recommended a book only last week, which I bought and I've only got through the first pages. And you've probably heard of this. And it's a bestseller called 4,000 Weeks. And it's I've literally only just started it. But I, you can get one nugget. And the one nugget I got straight away was I'm paraphrasing. You know, you're not going to have on your gravestone, you know, I did a great spreadsheet. Oh, I was so pleased with the, you know, the cakes that were at the event I ran. And it just made me suddenly think, good God, you know, woman, just, you know, start having a life again. <laughs> because, you know, I, I I can get totally absorbed in work. And um, and so I think we need to, it's that good old work-life balance. And I think a lot of people have it, but 
the um and then a novel what about a novel if I ever told anyone to read the novel and it's probably really really naff for some people but I love The Alchemist I love The Alchemist Paul Coelho it's a book that I read out loud to a friend of mine who sadly died last year she's like my best just surrogate mother and she went partially blind and I read it to her where we um just before she died and it's a beautiful book and I think if you just want a little bit of little bit of magic read that that is they I love those recommendations and I love the fact you've got different types of book in there um I'm going to put those in the references for the show in the show notes Gail thank you so very much for joining me today because I know you're incredibly busy um your honesty has been amazing your what you've shared in terms of what a good leader is and and actually the fact that and and, and the fact that I don't think there is any one leader who is on their own can cover it all you have to have a team people around you and I think you've talked brilliantly about that today so thank you ever so much it's been such a pleasure thank you for inviting me thank you for joining me on the beyond the water cooler podcast what's the one thing you will take away from this conversation to think about or do differently I'd love you to join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things I'm developing including free downloadable resources The link to sign up is in the show notes. I hope this episode has got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to the people you work with and how well you and those around you are engaging and thriving. Let's continue the conversation about the points raised in this episode. Or perhaps you have other questions about employee experience and performance. Email me at It's Time for Change, connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are in the notes. Before next time, please give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brownie point, leave me a short review. Let's spread the messages far and wide. Bye for now.